we're trying to create people who are a force to be reckoned with, who don't, who don't just know what they believe, but they know why they believe it, and they can defend it articulately, passionately, and without backing down. Not being a jerk, but certainly um, not letting down. Their truth and their core political belief is their religion. And they are so adamant and passionate and emotional about it because that is their God with a little G. God really pressed on his heart. You need to go back to the girl that you had that abortion with and you need to apologize to her. And you need to apologize to her face to face. Fetus phobic is someone who is afraid of the natural consequences of heterosexual sex and is terrified of a preborn child, of a little baby. And I like to say that Roe v. Wade is the story or the court case everyone has heard of, but nobody knows anything about. Welcome, as I said, Dr. Alveda King to Fide's podcast. Dr. King, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jerry, and hello, everyone. Uh, Governor Walker, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Or great to be with you. I should say it's a pleasure for me to be here. I think Rush is doing that, too. And he's doing it at a time of covid the crisis and he is he's basically saying look i may be dying but i'm not dead father pavone thank you so much for being here thanks jerry it's great to be with you and uh, with our viewers but they have an objective the objective is more tax money more control and a promotion of a political ideology it's a pro-socialist secular worldview Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. And I'm also here with former Ohio House Representative Christina Hagan to talk about some of the issues that are going on today because there's a lot of craziness and I need uh, someone to help explain some of these things to me. So Christina Hagan, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me and uh, can definitely relate to the Rush's uh, formerly known statement of talent on loan from God and certainly any ability gift and active service we have is through him. So awesome that you start your show that way. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, thanks for being here. I'm glad we were able to work it out um, with uh, the busyness of both of our lives. Uh, we, we had to do some rescheduling and the like. So thanks for making the time. So I actually want to first, before we get into some some of the topics of today, and just to get your thoughts and opinion, I want to you know start with a little bit of your background. So you were a former House uh, representative for how the House here in Ohio. And um, how, you know, how did you get into that? What is the background of your political beliefs? And, and what made you take that step to get involved? Sure. So much like yourself, um, I am blessed to know people who have felt called into leadership capacity. Uh, my mom and dad were very active in our community as I was growing up. And as they were raising me and my brothers uh, in the apartment above our family business, uh, our family's in the trades. We do heating and plumbing, electrical work. And uh, dad was always very engaged in the community. So all I ever knew was community service. My dad was a township trustee. Uh, and I remember sitting and coloring in the back of the room and listening to the Pledge of Allegiance, listening to the minutes, the orders of business, public speaks, you name it. And actually just was having a conversation with somebody at work today at the ministry um, and service about how, you know, how your parents pour into you matters. And we had conversations that were probably not usual conversations about public policy and the needs to be active for vulnerable populations. So um, just a little perspective, I am a second generation legislator. I did not directly succeed my father in the state legislature. In fact, it was quite the fight against the machine. Um, when I came into the state legislature, it could have been an easy, direct uh, um, 
entry into the legislature after dad was term limited. He was in the first round of term limits after term limits were passed. And I actually sought his position. The party at that time primaried me. Uh, They spent uh, $70,000 against me in a non-incumbent open seat primary when I was just 19 years old. I was told I was too green, too young, too fresh, didn't know what I was doing yet. There was an 18-year-old man serving in the state legislature. Uh, So I knew that wasn't true. And so I I still felt very passionate and called to public service, but I was trusting God with the timeline and the recognition that ultimately he has the game plan. He's going to put me into moments of service where I'm needed and where I'm anointed for that time, appointed for that position. And uh, my predecessor actually moved on to be the chairman of the Public Utilities Committee, creating a vacancy, in which case I was still very passionate about the position, still very committed to our community. So I sought it, and I was one of eight in that competing cycle, and I actually won the appointment. Um, Uniquely, my youth at that time was not held against me. The Speaker of the House, who was the second oldest member at the time of the appointment and the committees and the decision process. He was once the youngest member of the house himself. So he didn't see youth as a threat or a detriment, but saw it as an opportunity to, you know, reflect the whole of the public. So it's really a blessing. And it also helped that I was conservative. I came into the state legislature at a time when uh, we had a 17% budget deficit from the Democrats who had been leading previous to us. And I was serious about fiscal and social reform from a conservative perspective. So that mattered when I interviewed other people were a little squirmy when they were interviewed about making cuts. And I was honestly eager for that opportunity to make government function better and serve the people better. Um, And another thing that I worked on the state legislature that was incredibly important to me uh, was the heartbeat bill and just pro-life measures protecting our most vulnerable populations. And since then I've served um, very blessed in a pro-life ministry And also I've been able to help and come alongside a foster care organization that is called Connect Our Kids that works to eradicate our foster care issues in the United States by more efficiently and quickly placing children, utilizing data and technology to ensure that we're not leaving kids in this system where there are homes that would immediately welcome them if they knew that the need existed and reducing and eliminating the trauma that comes alongside of being in a foster care system, because we know that this is both costly to the taxpayer and also to these individuals' lives and their future prospects. And I know that because I grew up with foster brothers and sisters. So um, knowing and recognizing that we need to advocate for other people comes very naturally. It's just how our parents raised us to go out and protect others, fight for others, and give voice to situations where people may not feel strong enough um, to be that voice in that situation themselves for whatever reason. Yeah, really great stuff. Really great background. Love the causes you're championing, and I th- I think the whole thing with the with the age and inexperience per se. You know, someone like Joe Biden has has what thirty something years of experience being wrong on everything. So, what does experience matter if you're completely and utterly wrong on everything? And we're we're seeing what his you know wrongness is doing uh, right now. So uh, it's a great story. Uh, I would have voted for you uh, and will vote for you if I'm able to. And if, you know, if you're running in an area where I can and and hopefully others will, but um, so I want to go into a, a few issues. And and by the way, I know, I know you're on a friend of mine who's been on my show, Bob France, and you come on and, and talk about a lot of issues with, with Bob. He's a great, great guy um, as well. And you kind of do the same thing. It sounds like um, let's, let's talk about COVID. So 
one of the areas I'd love for you to comment on is, is the challenge that I have, at least, and I know a lot of others, is the issue of the trust in government, right? And we all believe COVID is real. We all believe that, you know, any, any kind of virus or disease, we want to help people and so on. We, we've been so lied to by the people in government. We have, we have been denied facts and information. We, information has been censored. Uh, if we want to hear, we hear about a study, whether it's about, um, you know, a- aspects of the vaccine and, and its impact on young, young boys, there's a study. Nope, can't hear about it. We can't hear about ivermectin. We can't hear about hydroxychloroquine. We're not allowed to hear about it. It's censored and so on. Uh, So many of these lies and misinformation that's put out there. I think a lot of people, the issue with COVID is that we don't feel like we're being dealt with truthfully. Am I wrong? No, I think that's that's right. I mean, there's a series of frustration that's sweeping the country. Uh, we're more divided than we've ever been, and intentionally so by these really wicked and deceitful leaders. Um, these are people that know the truth about these matters, but choose to not disclose the full truth and worse, try to hide it. Uh, we're seeing even just this week uh, information roll out from the NIH that even Fauci himself lied directly to Rand Paul about the gain-of-function research that was conducted using American tax dollars. And that question was directly presented to and asked to these health officials, these leaders that we're supposed to look to and trust with public health measures and guidance. And yet we can't, we can't account for truth coming out of their mouth. And it's, it's interesting to me because, um, you know, you mentioned the experience piece, and you mentioned um, Biden having all the experience and it being really bad experience. And something that flashed in the back of my mind when you said that was the point of the debate between Trump and Hillary Clinton, where she said, you have no experience. And and he said, yeah, but all of your experience is really, really bad experience. It's bad public policy making, And that's true both about this administration under Biden um, and also through his entire appointment process of all of these officials that are heading up HHS and other places where he's put some really supremely dangerous um, and intentionally deceitful leaders into positions of power. And I think it's, it's not just COVID. It's the lies that are being put down the chain and into our children's classrooms. It's the way our children are being preached to and divided with the masks, with the promotion of vaccines, with the lack of information on long-term studies. Um, and it's just a complete and utter game of division. Now, I actually was blessed with a little bit of foresight that I did not understand at the time or know why I was receiving it, but I had constituents who were sharing with me when I was in state legislature that they were being forced against their will in order to sustain their livelihood to take the flu vaccine. And at the time, you know, at, at first I had three or four medical professionals reaching out to me. And then before I knew it, it was 10 or 20. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's something going on here. And so I sat down with these professionals and these are medical professionals who shared with me. They're like, you know, why would the industry tell us what we have to do when we are, we are educated to make decisions about our medical health and the medical health of others, why would they try to strip that away from us? So I think anytime information is being taken away from people, anytime options are being taken away from people, it's simply because the other side can't get done what they want to do without blatantly lying and forcing objectives. I mean, I think about even our own side doing the wrong thing with incentivizing um, the 
incentivizing and creating coercion of vaccines and not even necessarily vaccines. The definition has been changed under the CDC and the NIH uh, because it no longer has to stop the contraction of COVID or the spread of COVID. So it's just the shot that they've manufactured that's making the pharmaceutical companies a great deal of money and um, happens to be crushing our medical system as we allow em illegal immigrants to pour into our border with unknown medical crises that they're carrying at about 20% of the entry rate. And yet we're firing the very people that have safeguarded or supposedly safeguarded our health from this pandemic um, through this entire process and also our frontline safety officials who were on the front lines during the riots that happened all throughout the country. Now we're saying that you shouldn't have a job if you don't put this needle in your arm, regardless of what's in it, and regardless of how frequently we put it in your arm. I mean, it's simply crushing liberty in our country and personal autonomy and medical rights. It's crazy. Yeah. So tell me if you can explain this, because I've been asking this to everybody on my show who, in which I talk about COVID because maybe someone out there can explain it. So far, no one has been able to, okay? But how are the unvaccinated dangerous to the vaccinated? They aren't, period. <laughs> so I, you know, I think it's kind of a loaded question. So I don't know what other people have said in response to that. But I think we've been fed a bag of lies by the federal government. They want to simply separate us in a Marxist nature, whether it's by race, whether it's by you know, the whole feminist movement that didn't work. So they went to the blacks versus wives, you know, that tore us apart pretty bad, but it's not complete and utter division. So now they've created all these issues of gender dysphoria to create additional confusion and chaos. And on top of that, now they want the clean versus the unclean, the, you know, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And the reality is, I mean, this, the data is out and vaccinated people are dying at high rates um, at almost no measure of difference than unvaccinated people. And, you know, it was, you know, we heard time and time again, if you get the vaccine, you can live your life, you can resume your life. And that was the threat, right? If you didn't get the vaccine, then you would have to um, be uh, taken away from all of your normal livelihood, all of your normal engagement in the community. You won't be able to go to concerts. You won't be able to go to the zoo. You won't be able to go to the grocery store. Certain places of business can force you to show your papers, um, just like the Holocaust, uh, proof of entry, if you've, if you've made the grade. Um, so I think there really is no proof. Um, there just are a bunch of lies that are being spread and vitriol that's spread by the media that's in complete and utter collusion with the Democrat Party. Um, and even you hear these elected officials telling them that they're not telling it right enough. So it's like, I think the media at this point, the mainstream media who has been complicit in hiding information and spreading the wrong information, even they are kind of hitting the brakes and going, whoa, this is beyond our expectations at this point, and it's out of control. But I don't think that there is proof of that. Um, and it's just a lie that they continue to spread in order to divide our country. And it's very sad. Yeah, it is. And, and it goes back to my beginning uh, part of my question about the mistrust and, and of the information that's given, right? I mean, I'm interested in knowing the facts, right? I, my, a turning point for me way back in the beginning was hydroxychloroquine. I don't know if that was a solution, if that was helpful or not. Maybe it was. I'm interested, but I was hopeful and positive and let's dig into it deeper. There's doctors saying that it's, it's, they use it and it works. And so let's go down that path. Let's keep looking. And if it's not right, then fine, we'll keep looking. 
But the left said, no, we're not even allowed to hear about it. And so when we are seeing now with the vaccine, we're seeing a suppression of information as far as adverse reaction to it. Uh, any deaths from the vaccine, we're, we're not allowed to hear about. We're not allowed to hear any talk of anything negative. You can't ask the question, wait a minute, Colin Powell was fully vaccinated. And people will say, well, well, he was really sick. Well, that's who was dying of COVID with or without the vaccine, the really sick people who are already really sick. And, right, so, and this is also who was dying of the flu and other things that cause people to die when they have comorbidities. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly it. And it's, and it's just, it just crazy. So two more areas I want to get your perspective on, and that is what's going on in the school boards. You touched on it a little bit in, in one of your answers and, you know, it's, it's really, it's really hitting the peak here. First of all, we're uh, anyone who is involved in this on, on the right side here is being attacked by the DOJ and ba- basically called domestic terrorists. What are you seeing? Are you seeing is this is maybe a positive thing as far as what parents are doing that they're finally stepping up and going, whoa, time out, you crossed the line here. And where do you think it's going to go? Well, as a believer, I know and understand that God always uses all evil for good. You know, he can use a terrible circumstance uh, to shine a light. And I think through the pandemic, the result of children being at home, parents being at home, classrooms being open to Zoom screens, uh, parents getting the direct insight as to what is being taught, said and spoken into their children. Um, parents are wide awake and I don't think there could be a greater blessing on this country than the reality. I think I saw the data yesterday that 75% of parents are concerned about what is happening in their children's classrooms. That's an unbelievable stat. I mean, this is, you know, and no fault of our own, you know, you and I had a hard time connecting because we're both parents and I have three little kids. I have a set of twins, twin boys. I don't know if anybody's met twin toddlers, but it's what we call a twinado. And, you know, they're, they're going all the time. And then our little girl just started kindergarten this year and we were in deep prayer and had concern over what would be taught in her classroom. Uh, her grandfather serves on the state school board. So we're highly knowledgeable about what's being fun classrooms. And we're really blessed to have my brother actually serving on our local school board. And so it's very obvious, you know, whether it was Planned Parenthood three or four years ago, that was the biggest boogeyman and scare factor for us as conservatives, that that's what's going to be taught to our children and is being taught even in rural small town schools where there is a lot of parental control and insight, even against our will. You know, that seems to be at this point in time, the least of our concerns. And I still remember the date and the time when I was having conversations with students about traditional marriage in Ohio and our constitution before the United States Supreme Court overruled traditional marriage and state sovereignty. And I thought it couldn't get worse then. Uh, Well, I'm here to tell you it's getting worse every day, every hour, every minute, and the war is raging. And I believe that the battleground is most serious in our children's classrooms. And so the fact that parents are standing up is tremendous. Um, The threat is significant to the elitists that are running this country because they have taken advantage of most of us who have, you know, for better or worse, been asleep at the wheel of governing the intimacy of our children's curriculum and education. And they've even gone so far as to arrogantly say that we don't have right in being primary stakeholders to our children's education. I've never heard something so ludicrous in my entire life. There are only two people in this household that are responsible for our three children that God gave us to raise up. And so I just think we're living in a world where 
you know, common core used to be the worst issue. Again, you know, this confusion on traditional marriage and God's design, you know, these are very scary things. And then you think of how, um, how complex it's gotten since then and CRT, the division by race, the, the teaching of white supremacy and oppression and victimhood and just complete and utter division, the guilt that's being cast upon children for simply existing. And then asking children to engage in and write about um, illegal activities just here, even in Northeastern Ohio. I don't know if you, you probably are well aware and saw the incident in the Hudson area schools. Um, and the mayor actually stepped in and call, called for resignation, or they would go ahead and press charges on the school board for teachings that had been existing for 10 years and writing prompts booklets that talked about having kids um, explain sexual acts, explain uh, how you would feel cheating on your spouse, explain drinking a beer, um, drink a beer illegally, write about it. I mean, these, these are disgusting, you know, intentionally disgusting things that are woven through all of our children's curriculum without our knowing and have been for years. And now people's eyes are open and nobody knows where to start except for going to the school board and presenting the question directly to the people that we've elected to govern. And the right move is to not only take over those local school boards, but the educational service centers that are the pipeline to all of the local school boards at the county level that hold our schools together, that provide them with information, provide them with details, have all of these diversity trainings, things that sound really good on the surface because everybody is really for diversity um, and everybody is for justice. But when we start pitting one race against another, it's not really about diversity or justice at all. It's about division and deceit and creating confusion for our children. So I just, I applaud the parents that are standing up. I think that this is a really pivotal moment in our country's history. And I pray to God that parents stay strong, regardless of the attacks that they're experiencing from the federal government. Yeah, they're threatening to cause domestic terrorists. They're threatening to send the blue windbreakers to break up school board meetings. And this is crazy. Our government is tyrannical. These are some of the greatest overreaches that I've ever seen in my life. And I know it's not that long, but it's it's gotten rapid in the last nine months. It's crazy. We need to be wide awake. Yes, we do. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, well, so uh, great stuff. Really great stuff. Great talking with you. Great insights into things. Um, I, we're on on the same ground, you and I, and that's good. And understanding the fight here. And you know, if anyone ever gives you a problem with experience, uh, just the handling the twinados, as you call them, that that you could handle anything. I think if you if you if you if you handle that, you know, forget the politicians and in Columbus or in DC, right? It, it, you, you know what you're doing. Christina Hagen, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Are you uh, to connect with you, to, to follow you and the like? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm regularly on social media. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, look for Rep Hagen on Twitter, or just simply Christina Hagen on Facebook. Um, my professional page is there. And I really, I'm not seeking office currently. I just try to keep other working class parents um, up to date with current information, things that I'm seeing. I try to stay on top of the news cycle so people can understand the harmful policies that are coming down from our federal government, the crazy spending that's coming down for our federal government, the crisis that we're seeing at the border, um, the educational issues that we need to be aware of spoken plainly. Because again, you know, these things sound really friendly on the surface. 
Um, but when we become aware of the words and the actual terms that they're using and teaching to our children, that's the only way that we can stand our ground and help them to know who they are and their identity um, in Christ or however you're pouring into your child. But you can't know if you don't know what the enemy looks like. So I just try to equip fellow working class Americans who are working around the clock to just see some of the crazy things that are happening in society and be aware so that we can be vigilant. Absolutely. Great way to end it. Thank you so much, Christina. I definitely have to follow Christina for some great perspectives and uh, catch her regularly on uh, the Bob France experience as well. Um, his great show is, as well. Bob is a great guy. Uh, so, and thank all of you for joining me for this episode of Fides Podcast with Christina Hagen. Uh, please catch me on all the different podcast apps, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I know